Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hear my words and bear witness to my vow. Night gathers and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall take no wife, hold no lands, father no children. I shall wear no crowns and win no glory. I shall live and die at my post. I am the sword in the darkness. I am the watcher on the walls. I am the shield that guards the realm of men. I pledge my life and honor to the night's watch. For this night, and all the nights to come. Hello and welcome to Still Watching Game of Thrones. I'm Vanity Fair Senior Writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair Chief Critic Richard Lawson. If you're just joining us, we are counting down our top 15 episodes of Game of Thrones. I think we are like one third, one quarter of the way through. I don't know. We're, we're on our way. We are in season four. This week we are talking about season four, episode one, Two Swords, written by Weiss and Benioff and directed by D.B. Weiss. Uh, Dan Weiss is going to be co-directed the finale with, with David Benioff. I think they actually like technically co-directed this, but because of like some, rules in the DGA or something like that. It's it's credited to Weiss, but I think this is a co-pro between Weiss and Benioff in actuality. Here is my 15-word recap of this episode. The How needs some chicken, Tywin makes some swords, and Jamie gets a new hand. So it certainly doesn't cover all of it, but it covers some of it. Uh, there are two main reasons why I wanted to talk about this episode. One is that it's got, I think, one of the classic cold openings of uh Game of Thrones, which is the um the melting down of Ned Stark's sword into two new Valerian steel swords. Uh there are few, very few cold openings in Game of Thrones, and this is one of them. Uh and then it is the introduction of Obere Martel. So I'm gonna kick off. We're gonna talk generally about why this episode's important. We're here in se- here we are, season four. We've survived the Red Wedding. Here we go. 
There are many reasons why this episode is important. We're going to hand out some awards before we get there, but I think we're going to start with the obvious MVP of the episode, which is Pedro Pascal, who blasts onto the scene as Ober and Martel. Richard, do you have a different obvious MVP for this episode? No, of course not. Yeah. Like that's, that's the one. Well, it's just so funny because, so, you know, we're starting this new season. The, the Stark war is over. The Stark, some of the Starks are still obviously a big part of the show, but like that whole plot line is kind of done. And so the show needs to introduce something new. And here comes this like totally different energy than we've had on the show before. Um, and, and I think it's, it's a big task that Pascal handles pretty well. Yeah. I mean, like you're immediately, there, here's this infusion of not only a new character, but like a new kind of character, right? Like we mm-hmm. haven't had any Dorn in the show yet. So like, here's all of Dorn. I mean, that went south eventually, but like it started really strong. Uh, you know, shout out to Adira Varma too, who's, who's great as Laria Sand. She's fantastic. Um, but we meet, uh, you know, Oberyn, Ilaria, your boy Oliver, all in the brothel. And, and you're immediately like sort of taken by them. It's funny because, um, I remember this is when I first, this is when you and I both actually first started writing for Vanity Fair was, was, uh, you know, this is our first season of Game of Thrones, uh, that we ever wrote about for Vanity Fair. And, um, I remember because I was a book reader when they released the photos, I think from the premiere, I wrote a whole piece that was like, here's, here are two characters you're going to love. Here's Oprah Martell and Larry saying you don't know who they are, but you're going to love them. And I felt so confident as a book reader. And I was right. And then I think I did the same thing with <laughs> I was like Sand Snakes. I was like, here's three more characters you're definitely going to love. And then like... And everyone loves them. And they're the most popular characters from the show. The end. All right. So um Peter Pascal, obvious MVP. My sneaky MVP for this episode. Actually, and this is something we haven't talked about that much. But I really, really love the season three, uh season four work from Sophie Turner. Um as Sansa Stark, there's this, we watch Sansa deal with the aftermath of the red wedding in this episode. She's got this lovely scene with Tyrion where she's like upset, but there's something different than the sort of childlike upset that we see from her in season three, um, where this is just a profound wound. It's deeper than the wound from her father's death, even. And it's just like, maybe because she felt more connected to her mother, or I don't know what it was, but it's just sort of like, her family's dead. It, it, I think it's that Ned died, but her family was still sort of like holding down the fort in the north. And if she could just get out of King's Landing, like she could be safe at home. But when her mother and her brother die, she has no idea where Arya is or if Arya is alive. Uh, John was never anything to her. Brian and Rickon are dead as far as she's concerned. Like, she's alone in the world now. That's how she feels. And I think you begin to see, like, Sansa Stark as Lady of Winterfell is such, like, a frosty human. And she has many good reasons to be a frosty human. And you start to see young Sophie Turner, like, go there uh, in this episode. Uh, So that's why she's my sneaky MVP. That's a good choice. Um, I think that, uh, my choice was, was more just going to be like silly, but it, it's like Maester Eamon again, because yeah. I love in the little, um, trial scene where he's like, if every, you know, night's watchman, we beheaded for, for sleeping with a girl, there would be, the wall would be empty. You know, it's like just very like practical. Like he's yeah. just like, he's like takes his job seriously, but also is like realistic about the world. So 
Um, I, I always, I always like him when he's in the episode. There's no bad Mace Raymond scene. Like, no, exactly. never. He's fantastic from start to finish. Uh, absolutely. All right. <clears throat> here's, here's the time when we perform a quote from the episode. Um, this is the first time where I feel confident because I know I can do a Martell impression. And it goes like this. Do you know why all the world hates a Lannister? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's my, that's my Oberyn Martell oh, impression. That's good. What do you got, Richard? My quote is, Thins. I fucking hate thins. <laughs> Because who likes the thins? Nobody likes the thins. <laughs> Nobody likes the thins. That's so great. Uh, yeah, we get some cannibalism in this episode, which is, which is really fun. Um, all right. We are going to do best dressed and I hate to be redundant, but I cannot give it to anyone else, but you know, the shiny prince himself over Martel and his like silky saffron robe. He wears many beautiful robes in this season, but this is our first one and it is a doozy. What do you say? I like Olivar's little blue number. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty yeah. good. Um, and to round out my redundancy, uh, my ship for this episode is Ober Martell and literally anything with a pulse. He shows in this episode that he is game for it. He is pansexual. He is, uh, into it all. This is the most sexually liberated couple in all of, uh, Game of Thrones. What do you say, Richard? I mean, it's hard to argue with that, but, uh, I could say maybe also, you know, Tormund did the, the fins, you know, like, Sure. Build bridges. <laughs> Build bridges with your sexuality. I mean, there's like good stuff with the uh, Indira Varma also. Um, oh, she's wonderful. And oh, and there's new Dario. New Dario. New Dario. Um, Michelle Kusman. There's his introduction. In this episode is so funny because, like, they recast Dario between season three and season four because I believe it's because Ed Scran wanted to do the transporter. Because he thought the transporter would be the beginning of a beautiful franchise for him. He's doing great stuff, by the way. Like, I, I actually really liked him in Alita Battle Angel, a movie that I didn't enjoy, and I think he's great in Deadpool as well. So I'm, you know, he's doing some good stuff. He also, like, did a good thing where he was cast oh, yeah. in a, a, a role that was meant for an Asian actor, and he stepped down. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're pretty up on Ed, but he might have made a bad decision leaving, uh, this show. Anyway, um, he, Oh, when new Dario rolls up, we get this whole scene where Daenerys goes, where's Dario? And they're like, he's over there with Grey Worm. So whoever we find over there with Grey Worm, that's, that's who he definitely is. Dario. <laughs> no questioning that. <laughs> yes, we did have the one Lannister uh, Baratheon boy play his cousin, but, you know, <laughs> no tricks here. <laughs> it's fine. This is fine. So, yeah, it's... uh. Yeah, we get new Dario, uh, we get some great Oliver stuff, and we're off to the races. This is, this is a King's Landing heavy episode, but we get some other stuff. I mean, we get like a classic Arya and the Hound scene. Um, Arya and the Hound hook up at the end of season three, but like, this is the beginning of a season long road trip sort of, uh, sequence for them, and the really beginning of Arya, like Sansa, really leaning into her darkness after what she saw at the twins. And so we get the hound and Arya at this tavern and Arya kills a guy with, with her sword that she gets back from him. And it's like vengeance for her friend that he killed, but it's, uh, it's very dark. Uh, this, this scene here. Well, yeah, because she kills two people and the first one she kills with a bigger sword and she just very slowly, probably because it's a big heavy sword and she's tiny just slowly pushes it into the guy's chest, which is like 
horrifying. Uh, yeah, and then with Needle, obviously, she stabs him through the neck. And it's interesting, I think we were talking on another episode about um, Daenerys and the sort of birth of her sort of sociopathy, for lack of a less dramatic word. Yeah. Um, and I think that the interesting thing about this show that always I, I kind of questioned, like, is Arya, and maybe in the books too, is Arya supposed to be like a hero? Are we rooting for her? Is she cool? Is she whatever? And of course she has her moments, but like, ultimately this is a story about a kid who, yes, was interested in sword fighting like her brothers, whatever, but like, this is a story about a kid who is completely radicalized by war and tragedy into becoming like a straight up murderer. Um, and I think the show has always been at least a little bit careful to like, mourn that a little bit rather than just being like, you know, look, she, she got tough, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, she's, she like my, my hope for Aria is there's some sort of healing journey for her in the final season. Yeah. Um, because yeah, this is, this is the dark path she's on. I think it's easy to cheer for her sometimes. Cause you're just like, yeah, like, um, you you take your revenge, little girl with a sword. You're so cool. But then, like, when you stop to think about it, as you say, like, everything about her is deeply tragic. This is a person who's profoundly broken by the the things that have happened to her family. And, like, all of her, bad, quote, unquote, badassery is just, like, frantic survival <laughs> tactics, you know? And, and you see that a lot, I think, in season seven when she comes back to Winterfell and she's so creepy and her sister, like, doesn't know what to do with her, you know? Yeah. Um, like, what, like, Arya being weird and doing faithless man shit over in Bravos is one thing. Arya coming home and, like, in, you know, planting that stuff in Winterfell really underlines how, how strange a turn her life took, you know, so. And here is the kind of beginning of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, uh, we get one of my favorite, uh, interactions, which is Lady Elena and Brienne of Tarth, uh, where Lady Elena says something <laughs> like, you're magnificent. Oh, but she loves her so <laughs> yeah, much. It's she the best. loves her. Cause you think that she's going to be like, Oh, like who is this beast or whatever. But instead she's like, Oh, you're fabulous. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> you're amazing. Incredible. Um, yes. yeah. <laughs> yes, queen. Yes. Brienne. Um, yeah. And we get, um, the Brienne and Marjorie stuff, like the, the, once again, it's, it's like you've mentioned in the past, like the show, not forgetting its connections, like that Renly connects these two women, that that's, that is a thing that these women have a history together. Uh, and here they are back in King's Landing together. So yeah, there you go. Um, is there anything else that you want to talk about in this episode uh, before we talk about Jamie's amazing new hand? Uh, I think we should go to that hand. All right, let's go to that hand. Um, yeah, Kyburn gives uh, Jamie Lannister a golden hand, which, uh, is, uh, produces one of my favorite gifts of all time, which is Jamie just sort of like waving with his golden hand. Um, but you know, this, this is, I'm, I'm curious. I actually want to know what you think. Like if, if we were to like fanfic daydream, like what do you think happens with that hand in the final season of Game of Thrones? Like is Jamie going to like, toss it off like does it rep- like represent lannisterism to him like what what is that hand what is he going to do with it that's a great question uh and i had not thought about that because i tend to think of the, the the end end of the show in terms of like 
who's on the throne, you know, J- John, Danny, that kind of stuff. I guess I hadn't, I, I think that a lot of people are going to die and I kind of think that Jamie's going to be one of them. Uh-huh. Um, so maybe the hand will come into play or like Brienne will like find it and take it home or something like that. I don't know. Um, but you're right that there, it is such a significant, um, defining characteristic of him from, from now from, you know, for season four on that, um, they'll have to kind of have some closure for that thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I don't know. Like I kind of see it melting somewhere <laughs> or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or yeah, or maybe it, it, it dragging him down or holding him back in some way. And then he has to like, cut loose from it that seems to me like maybe that's too obvious i don't know but that seems to me to be like the thing that he should let go of or maybe like you know he he decides not to wear it in you know if if he doesn't make it in in whatever last stand he has he decides to leave the hand behind um because he or he like returns it to cersei and sort of as sort of like a sign of like we're done oh jamie sends his regards with his hand Or he like, like tosses it onto the table or something. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I got my, I got my on that, on that hand is my point. I don't know what's going to happen with it, but it feels like too symbolic, uh, to not play into something. And I think they are leading up to Jamie having some kind of very important tragic end, uh, in this final season. That's not a spoiler. I, I think there have been a lot of indicators for that. So, uh, we'll see when it is and how it is, but, uh, you know, keep very spike in Buffy. Oh, oh, you know, same oh. similar arc. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I do have a type. It's true. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, what do we think of, of the, um, of the John stuff in this episode of, of John reckoning with Rob's death and, and like his admission of what he did while he was, you know, being a spy and all of that. Um, yeah, I feel like in some ways this is the beginning of a long period where John's just at the wall, right? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> and so his adventuring is over for the time being and it's back to the, the kind of rules and regs of, uh, of what's left of the Night's Watch. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's like, a, it's, I, I guess there's more to come with your greet and whatnot, but, um, I don't know. I, in some ways I am kind of glad to have him back, you know, at home, so to speak, but I also, I, I liked him out in the wild, uh, with everybody. Excellent. And then I'm just going to come back to, to Oberyn one last time and just say that, um, in addition to this really flashy intro that we get to him, he dumps a lot of exposition on us, um, in a way that, um, winds up being really important. He talks about his sister Ilya. He talks about Rhaegar Targaryen and like all of, all of the stuff that happens and like information about Rhaegar, what he did with his first wife and what happened to his first wife and his kids and all that is, is not only important to the duel that we get at the end of the season, but it's important to John's parentage, um, which we will find out, you know, many seasons hence. So yes. it's always fun to watch these little things take root early on. Okay, that is it for our discussion of Season 4, Episode 1, Two Swords. Please stay tuned. We have a great, great, long, juicy interview with weapons master Tommy Dunn, who has a lot of fun things to say about weapons he wished he had made, weapons he loved making, cameos he had, and and a few little hints about Season 8. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? 
Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect. Her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There is five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically, I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hello, how are you? Don't know how are you, right? Tommy Dunn, weapons master on Game of Thrones. Before we all break our collective hearts talking about melting down Ned Stark's sword ice into two different swords in this episode called Two Swords, uh, let's talk about the process of making a hero sword like ice um, in the first... The blades, and the, especially the pattern welders with ice. I mean, ice, yeah. the ice of ice, long claw, widow's whale, old keeper... Um, again, all of those were, were handcrafted and hand, hand forged, um, all pattern welders. Pattern welding is, is what you use to, um, make this, those swords that you mentioned are all Valerian. Which is Valerian, the, yes. The yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what is the process of pattern welding? How does that differ from, uh, any other kind of blade? Well, um, it's a good question because it's, it's, there's, Pattern welding is, is basically the forging. It's the forging of, of different types of iron and steel, um, different carbon contents. It's, it's a very standard form. It's a very, I mean, down to the, I think it was the second and third century, the Celts were doing it, um, AD. So it's, it's quite a, quite a, a, um, a, with the forge end of it, it's, 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 it's welded strips of, of high carbon steel. Um, welded together in a billet form, heated up to over a thousand degrees, and then hammered and folded and processed and drawn. So it's a lot that goes with it, but it's 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 not it's something that you would always do. Learning your forge work and learning as a blacksmith or um, as an ironsmith, you would have this kind of world where you would be you know learning how to fold metal and draw it. But the only difference on this one is that you're actually using different tensile, different different carbon contents of steel. It gives you different layers and different flows of materials. And then it's how you twist it and how you fold it will create different patterns within the forge and the folding and the, and the R&D. So you make this beautiful, huge sword that's, uh, you know, however many feet long. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Um, and then we we melt it down uh, yes, you know, by the time we get to here <laughs> disastrously. And um, so you appear in this scene as the blacksmith melting down ice. I do. I sneak out. I sneak out around the corner. Yeah, yeah. So, so you see me sneaking in from the dark. <laughs> um, yeah, that was it. Was a good scene. We had obviously Tywin Lannister played by by Charles Dance. Um, he obviously draws yeah. it out originally. With his, he draws it out from the um, 
from the dire wolf sheath that we have. So he draws it out, then you see the beautiful blade and then you know straight away exactly what it is. And then he walks into the, the forged area and presents it to me. Um, and then obviously I start breaking it down. And I have an assistant there as well, um, Steve Murphy, who was actually one of my young guys that's, that worked with me on the um, in, within the workshop on the, in, in the armory. And he is a, he's a young blacksmith mm-hmm. himself in his own right. He's a very, very good, great talent very talented blacksmith himself so it was funny having him as the assistant and then uh, and me as the uh and me as the master so it was a little bit of a little bit of funniness to it but it was um no it was a great scene we enjoyed it we enjoyed it <laughs> but, the, but the heat because we used the we used a cellar we were down a cellar in um i can't think it was shane's castle i think it was i'm not sure it could have been but we we're down in one of the cellars um and my god the heat was terrible it was like oh, it was no. boiling I mean, the forge itself was a practice. They built the special effects and uh, the art department props, and they built a practical forge, which you can obviously see there, which is a, it did work for what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and the heat of that, and then we also had special effects that had a um, uh, a little forge, little blast furnace beside, beside us also, because they, they were heating up the the bronze that were used, or the brass that was used, and to pour into the into the molds. You had to heat that up over 900 degrees thereabouts. So we had that going and a forge going, and we were choking with the heat. It was like unbelievable. And it was beautiful outdoors as well. But it was like, oh my God. <laughs> You're like thanks, thanks guys, thanks for asking me to be in. Yeah, I know exactly. Yeah, and, and then the funny thing was, what well, originally I started off with sleeves. I had sleeves in that um, in that sequence, and it was so warm. I just I ripped them out of it. I don't need the four L costume department <laughs> to have it, but I just asked them to rip them out of it <laughs> just because it was so warm. But it was it was a great scene. It was a very um, it was a lot of practice. We had obviously because there's a lot of safety involved with it, dealing with the. Yeah. Well, oh, basically dealing with the crucible, yeah. yeah, you got the fire there, then you got the crucible that we had to lift up and pour the crucible into the into the mold, creating that molten lava. Um, so we had to make sure that it was all, you know, properly done well and then and uh, and safe for everybody because the cameras are right beside us and, and down below looking up and looking down. Um, and then obviously then later on, special effects took over uh, to make it like a, within a special effects and a visual effects field to it as well. Um, but it was all practical. It was all, we do a lot of it very, very practical as well. So I do as much of the camera as possible. Um, yeah, it was, an, it was an enjoyable scene. So I think we did for, yeah, I think it was a two-day shoot. Good fun. It's, it's incredible. Um, in the in the books, the um, and even in the world of the show, the idea of, of making Valyrian steel or even working it as you are in the scene um, yeah. is this highly trained, only one person, you, your character really like knows how to do it. Um, did, you know, but, but what you're doing here is, is what looks like, like fairly standard sort of reforging kind of thing. Was there any discussion ever of like, oh, we should do something very extreme with it to make it look um, much more complicated or anything like that? Um, I think, yes, there was. Obviously, with, with, with David and Dan, they need to try and make it as much, you know, as, as epic as possible. But I think right. we're getting to the stage. I think it was getting to the stage because the two boys were directing this. It was one of their sequences, one of their scenes that they were directing themselves. Um, right. But I think it was getting to the stage where it was, getting, it was possibly getting out of hand. So we had to, everybody had to draw back to you know, get the basic feel to it. And I mean, the, the, the idea of, of the way it looked was, was very good as well, because trying to put that blade in and then melt it down, get that feel that it's, it's melted. 
which would be virtually impossible, but who cares? But uh, <laughs> it's just, it's, <laughs> it's because it was one of those things where originally I came up with thinking that I would that I'd be able to split the blade, that we'd be able to, you know, forge the blade and split it, try and split it manually into two and then reforge it again. But um, I think the two boys looked at me as if I had two heads and said, no, nah, go away, <laughs> go away, don't, we'll do, we'll do it our way. <laughs> so it, their way was much more epic than mine. Mine, mine, mine unfortunately, was practical, but theirs was uh, was, was epical, that? if that's a word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so the the resulting blades are, are Oathkeeper and Widow's Whale. Widow's Whale, yeah. Um, yeah, which become Brienne and Joffrey and then Jamie's sword or whatever. Yes. But um, yes. there, uh, another thing that I like visually in that scene is because they're two different lengths, you yes. kind of really understand that you're getting these two different blades here. Um, yes. What was the decision behind making them uh, two different lengths like that? Well, that's that's a good that's a good question because um, to be honest, um, I don't know what the real backstory was that, but but obviously within the within the script. Once we had a script, it was just it was scripted as as broken two swords, given the names with his whale, O Keeper, and describing with his whale as a small as a um, smaller blade weapon than Old Keeper, um, and then it worked out very well for the two characters because obviously Jamie was a, was a grown man and much taller, and obviously and then Joffrey was a smaller a smaller character, bigger character, but maybe mm-hmm. a smaller person. So it actually worked out very very <laughs> right. well. In yeah. size wise per frame, but yeah. I just don't know if that was um personally a a stroke of luck or um or, or face one or the other. I don't know which. But um right. a, yeah. a sword for a boy and a sword for a man. Yeah, sort of yeah, yeah, because obviously I mean it, it was a present from it was was a present from Tywin. Yeah. So obviously he divided out for his two um you know, the king at the time obviously which is which is Joffrey and then his own son Jamie as such. So obviously you know, he had plenty of thought and and um, say in it. Yeah, yeah. Of Not course. that he did. <laughs> <laughs> Not that Charles had anything to say about it. Um, and then- <laughs> Not that Charles had anything to do with it. He just turns up and looks great. <laughs> so this is your. Um, if I if if I've got my facts right, this was your third time on screen because you were originally you're in the original original pilot that never made it to air and then in, yes, and then in, never there, yes. and then in the pilot that we did see uh shaving the boys in the in season one episode yes. one so can you talk yes. can you talk about yes. those two cameos and how they came about yeah they were they were funny because i think um I think they were just looking for Bruce's people, and I, somehow I fell into that category. <laughs> I don't, I don't think it's something to do with my talent because I, I obviously don't have much of them. But I, I do, I do look like a Bruce, so it worked out very well. But um, the first one was was obviously with the with, with the director on the pilot. Pilot is that the um, everyone just got on very well, and it was a small little family type of thing, and they were looking for this Bruce again that just looked left and right and tried to find. Young Bran looking up a, a walking up, um, climbing the roof at the time, and uh, you have me coming out like an idiot, looking left. And he's gone right, then looking right, and he's gone left. And it's like <laughs> typ- typical soldier. So and that never made it to air either. So and um, that was the was the director just asked me would I do that because I, I knew nothing about that because then it was poor. The poor director's assistant came up. He said, "Oh, thank you very much, Tommy." And I'm thinking. What, what what for? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. <laughs> he said, well, well, have you seen your costume yet? I'm going, what, what costume? <laughs> so I hadn't got a clue what they were talking about. Oh, no. But, that was, but the second one of the first season, um, 
And that was, again, I think, again, they're looking for another Bruce because <laughs> I seen that script and I seen the Rose wrote in there and I'm going, hang on a second, that sounds like me. And then I knew Dave and Dan when they were walking past my office window looking in laughing that <laughs> it was me. So I'm sure they're just trying to stitch you up to have a bit of a laugh, you know. <laughs> and then the funny the funny thing about that one as well, because they gave me a they gave me a cutthroat and uh it was raised, it was razor sharp. And I said, What am I gonna do with this? I had to go back into the workshop. So I'm in my apron and I was dressed out and looked like a a right tramp and I'm in the workshop and all the lads are laughing at me and my own crew <laughs> and I'm uh, trying to trying to blunt uh, blunt down this edge to make it safe before I cut the boys' throats. Yeah, so you don't literally. so you don't murder Kit so, Harrington. Um, uh, no, 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 exactly. Don't murder Kit and poor and poor Rob as well. It's like thinking, oh my god, this scene will be over. It'll take about two seconds and that's it. I want to let you know that I lost a Game of Thrones trivia game once by one point because I couldn't name the butcher at Winterfell, but his name is his name is Tommy. He's named Tommy for you, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I've heard you talk before about the fact that you made Robert's Warhammer and we never I don't think we ever saw Robert's Warhammer. We never War- seen yeah, this. We yeah. no, we never did. We never did. We 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 made up we made an original one that you know for an, an area that we thought we were in. And we thought we did one anyway to have one just, just in case, but the boys never used it. And I always try to get pushed it in or what they did for dressing or even it was in, in Robert's, you know, bedroom or back room or any, but it never got aired. It, Robert would keep his Warhammer in his bedroom. I'm pretty sure. So you would think he would. Yeah. He would, he's one of those. And I kept trying to dress it in, but they always kept telling me to get out, get out, you know, you don't need it. So it was like, there's only so many times you can try and force that, force the weapons in there. So uh, we never used it, never, never, never shot on. Do you remember when... But well, obviously when we came to Gendry, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, we did. Yeah, and so how closely did Gendry's Warhammer resemble the one you made for Robert? Very, yeah. very, because I wanted, what I wanted to do is, sorry, even though we never seen it, I actually used a lot of the imaging that I, from that and then readapted it. So a lot of the, the the visual shape was very very similar, that like the the body and the the point and the and the bulbous nose to it, but the the, the shape of the of the wrapping, in other words, the um, the stag the stag wrapping and the antlers wrapping up around the side of it, was not on on Roberts. So when you got when you got that script when it said Genry needs a warhammer, you're like, oh, I've already done the work on this. Well, right? that was that was already made. <laughs> yeah. it was already made. That was in the in the closet waiting to come out. <laughs> I think. I, I talked to Joe Dempsey uh, a little while ago and he told me that, you know, he, he was told before uh, the season was started that he was going to have to work with a hammer. And then he trained <laughs> with like a sledgehammer that he bought at, you know, the local hardware store or whatever in his backyard, just throwing <laughs> that thing around, getting strong. And then he got to set and it was like light as a feather, the one that they actually had him use. <laughs> <laughs> the water has, the water, because we know what it's like. <laughs> you fell over that night, you killed everybody. But um, yeah, we had, because we, we had choices there, obviously. But in fairness, in fairness to him, he, he liked to carry the heavier one around most of the time. Because the problem with the light ones, they get too, it's like a child swinging us, you know, it's yeah. too easy. Yeah, yeah. And it looks too light. So in fairness, in fairness to Joe, he actually did carry the, the, the heavier one around as much as, as much as he wanted to, which is, 
you know, like five minutes here and five minutes sure, there. Sure, but he's like, I didn't build up these muscles for nothing. I, I can carry this him. <laughs> I think I don't think he's built it up for the forge work at all. I think it's just pure pure vanity. <laughs> you know, it's a good he's a good lad. And we did and in, in that in that world as well, we did we did a bit of forge work with him. A lot of yeah. uh, not in a lot, but we had a couple of days with him um that we set out and um, we brought him up to my lad's uh, Steve's foundry that he has in his own place, and we and we did some work with him one to one, so he wouldn't feel. The worst part is feeling afraid. It's not the fact that you can do it. Anybody can hammer. You know, you, you can get a hammer and, and hammer away. It's it's actually just feeling feeling positive and, and not feeling afraid of of um, letting the hammer go or sparks coming out at you. You know that the sparks are going to fly down rather than fly up. So it's just a little bit of awareness, that kind of stuff. So he's not worried about, you know, that he's, you know, affected it, that he'd have any sparks towards his eyes. He knows that everyone fly away from him. So it's just more for confidence and a little bit of, little bit of posture. But he was very good. I mean, he's, he's a young lad, so he's well capable of doing but it. But the, the fact that we see a snippet of Gendry sort of smithing in the trailer that's already out that people have seen, um, yes. I think people are yes. really excited to see that because obviously... Yeah, he's got a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. he's got a lot of work. <laughs> obviously, they got a lot, a lot of forging to do. Um, all right. And then, <laughs> a lot of forging. And then um, to talk about another season one weapon that sort of made a reappearance, is this cat's paw dagger that showed up in season one with like Bran's assassination? Oh yes, and then it's become so important to to Arya. And so my question for yeah. you is: um, Did you know that that was going to come back when you first designed it? And if you had known, would you have made it a little differently, um, knowing <laughs> knowing that it was going to be Arya's blade later? Um. No and no is probably my words because I mean it was a beautiful it was a, I, I enjoyed that and how it was a beautiful creation yeah. to start. Um, yes, it was made for you know a sort of I'm saying a man size, but it was made as an assassin's dagger, so therefore need to be a bit more brutal, a bit more in your face, and it could kill from both both ends. You know, obviously the knife as well as the the hilt either either way would kill you. Um, so he it was probably a little bit big. Now we did cheat a little bit with with, with Aria, with, with um, obviously with Maisie. So we had we had areas where we we, we had the weapon, and then we replicated it down by down to like seventy percent mm-hmm. of the original size, just to, just to help our performance. But she actually was very good with the with the with the full size one. It just the problem was that, and the problem was that we overlapped different directors. So one director actually was happy with 100%, and then the other director wanted the 70%. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> please don't put this scene together, you know? like, And it's just, it, it was what it was, you know? It was, it's not my call. I just, I'm just the the brutish guy that makes the stuff. So, um, <laughs> so I just, I, I don't have a say in that. But anyway, so we made it. We made one that was scaled down to 70%, um, if required, and... Um, like I said, we always had it there. But Maisie was very good. She and she liked the weight of the original one because she had to do a lot of spinning and turning as you right. as you seen with the fight with Brienne and that. What's it like to see these various actors like Gwendolyn or or Maisie uh, or Kit handling these weapons that you've made and and they train so hard and I think they do an amazing job. Yeah, I mean, and from my end of it, I mean, obviously as the as, as the weapons master and and, and and for my team, it's it's great because it's one of those things where. You can see how your your work and your your 
your um, blood, sweat and tears is out and, and being used on camera because we've been, I've been on so many different jobs where we've made so much and it's purely dressing in the background and never seen, never used. So for for us to personally have the weapons in your face and in the front and always being used and then obviously having highlighted weapons like your your assassin's dagger or your old keeper with his whale and you know all that. so everything's got a name so people get used to where's this weapon where's needle where so um it really puts your puts your work forefront to the show as well so you you, you feel much more involved with the shoot and much more involved with the storyline because um especially with david and dan if they like what you've created They've, they've no hesitation of writing more of it and putting putting it out there a bit more or putting it in your face, especially even with the directors. A lot of directors like to maybe start on the weapon and focus off and then come off it and come on to the actors. And for us, that's it's, it's unbelievable. Normally, people shy away from that. Yeah, you know how Game of Thrones fans are. They sort of pour over every single frame of something. And yeah. so I remember, I think it was last season that Jamie first wore Widow's Whale and, and people yeah. saw in a promo photo, they saw the hilt on his hip and they got so excited and the same thing I think <laughs> happened in the season 8 trailer because you can see that uh, Jorah is wearing Heartsbane in the trailer and, and yeah that must be <laughs> it must be fun for people to freak out over the, these pommels that you've made you know and, well that's it that's it yeah. exactly you know I mean on their end because it's, like it's, a full, it's a full creation so a lot of work's gone into it and, and the last thing you want is never to be seen so at least with this, you know the weapon's out there. You know it's going to be seen, and you know it's going to be it's going to play an integral integral part in the storyline. Yeah, and that's the great thing about it is that the, the the weapons are the ones to get them out of the trouble as much as anything else. <laughs> They're the ones that will save the day. Yeah. So um, that's what I'm, I'm I'm very happy about it, and very happy about it. Same as you know, obviously with season eight, you know the weapons are are what what we talk about. You know, the last weapon that is brought back from the beginning and and is is so key again here in the end is the uh, the flaming sword uh, for Beric Dondarrion. Um, for Beric, yeah. Yes. So I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, again, that one was it was quite basic because Beric was one of these um, rogue or very much down to earth and, mm-hmm. and part and parcel of the of the feeling of the world itself. But nothing spectacular about what he did, except for the light, obviously for the light, bringing the, the sword flaming and everything else. But the sword itself was a, quite a basic sword. Um, nothing fantastic about it, like in, in appearance, quite a quite a standard medieval feel and pommels and cross and handle. But obviously its power was that it ignites on, on uh, as he feels, you know, so the, the overlap on that one was obviously with ourselves, the special effects with um, with Sam Conway's team, was to make sure that we were able to replicate the have pass over the bl- some blades to them, cross guards, pommels, and then basically they created their own gas version, and then the, and then special effects created a, um, a blade that you were able to impregnate the the, the inner blade themselves. They had a bit of wadding in there, and they had a bit of IPA or a liquid fuel that they were able to ignite and then had then replicated many of them so um the boys did, did, did a good job on them with the effects but for my end of it there was no great dealing other than the basic the sword, sword. Was, yeah, yeah 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 quite basic quite basic um and is it the same did did the same thing you know when we see it in season three kiss by fire uh is it the same setup yeah. that we see uh later on here in season seven 
Yes, the actual practical way it, it lights up is the same way all the time. It's so spectacular. Okay, so you have forged your final weapon for Game of Thrones, the series proper. Yeah. Is there any character that you didn't get to make a weapon for that you really wish you could have? Yeah, there was, there was one. The one character who always wanted us, because she always said, where's mine? Every time you're on set, was, was Lena. Yeah. Was <laughs> So Cersei's always, she's a lunatic. Is that, you know, with Lena, she's always, you're always talking to her and, and, and she's a great, great woman and she's always going, where's my weapon? Where's my weapon? When do I get a weapon? And uh, <laughs> I said, you speak to Dave and Dan, I'll make you whatever you want. But uh, she's always, because she'd have been great because she's such a cool character and, um, um, and such a wonderful person, yeah, but she is a lunatic, you know, and she would have been great. What kind of weapon do you think Cersei would have had? A dagger of some kind, right? Oh, it would have been a dagger for her. Definitely something, 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 something cutting, you know, something that she can just, you know, it'll appear from nowhere and just decimate people in front of her. But um, <laughs> yeah, it would be, it would be a nice, I mean, something, I, I guess I'd, I'd do something Japanese for her, something that would be just sleek and very sharp and just very, uh, very fast, and then back to being demure. Right, right, back up the sleeve or whatever. I love that. Oh, what um, I do? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then do you have a, a, I don't know if you're, you want to play favorites, but do you have a personal favorite weapon that you designed for the show? Um, not not particularly as such, because I mean, I enjoy, I enjoy them all, you know, because we, we, we've had so much that you never had a chance to sort of sit back and and throw sugar on it and think you're the best thing ever. So you just have to make it get on and make the other 500 when you're, you know, when you're ready. So not really. I mean, Aria Holtz, uh, Aria Holtz, the bodyguard I enjoyed, or I really enjoyed it because such a big, that such axe. a big staff, yeah. big, the big axe or the big, you know, the halberd or what, you know, the boys said, oh, you can make me an axe. And I go, on, a six foot axe? I said, who makes a six foot axe? <laughs> I said, I'll make you something, but it won't be, you can call it whatever you want to call it, but I said, I won't call it an axe, but, um, so they were very happy with it. All right. And it was funny because the first time they did see it was with Dave and Dan, I showed them in, um, I think we were in Croatia at the time. Um, and I brought it over the shoulder and they went, and the first thing they looked at, they knew it was nice, but the first thing they said, that doesn't look like an X. I'm going, I'm going yeah, I told you it wouldn't look like an X. <laughs> but they still, they still said, yeah, it's very nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, and because it's Dornish, it's all ornate, it's got all those jewels exactly, on it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It was beautiful and it was lovely. I loved creating the shape and making that and then obviously you've got the brass work on it there, which is the gold and then the wrapping and binding around the um, the shaft itself. Um, and then do you do, um, to what extent do you do the armor as well? And, and to what extent is that costuming? Not, not so much. No, I mean, the costume would be, it would be virtually a hundred percent costume. It wouldn't mm-hmm. be my, I mean, I, I've done before on different shows a little bit. Sometimes you'd overlap in areas where you might need maybe a, um, a greave or some part of the armor that you need to turn into a weapon to, or you might create a blade for it or arrows. But on this show, no, it's in mean, the costume and the armor, um, as in the metal armor is a hundred percent costume. I thought I read an interview somewhere where you were talking about using snakeskin to create Oberyn Martell's armor. Did I dream that? Well, the, but the Oberyn, I mean, Oberyn, we, I mean, not on his breastplate. Oh. Did he have any breastplate? I'm trying to get the armor because he only had, um, he only had beautiful sort of silky gowns on him on Oberyn. Obviously, we did his, did his spare. I think I think for the duel, I'll have to rewatch it, but I think he has some sort of like it's not intensive armor, but it's yeah. like practical leather sort of armor. No, like no, no. Yeah, 
okay. must have, I must have I must have made that one up to maybe I like this. Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> no. I can't claim that one Michelle would kill me, no thanks. <laughs> oh no, okay. <laughs> I've heard you talk before about um giving tours of, of the arsenal that you have um, well, there yeah, yeah. of the armory. Well, yeah. yeah. No, I don't give tours. Um, I mean the production office and HBO requests can I can I bring people around. So I don't I don't right. have a I don't You're have a little I don't guy. have a ticket right. out there. You know, I don't have a ticket booth <laughs> out there and I'm selling tickets to my own workshop just in case HBO will be looking for their money back off me. But um, <laughs> yes, yes. Normally the production ring up and go, Oh Tommy, we have friends of Dan in I said, Lovely, send them over yeah. and then um, you never know who they are. The sort of, you know, especially with, with with Dan anyway. They're always heavy rock bands and Metallica or, or someone. <laughs> or they're, they're, I, 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 it's funny because sometimes I don't know. I'm, I'm the worst in the world. But my my son has been up here and, and my daughter woke up here with me as well, and they know them straight away because I think they're of the age. And I'm going, who are they? <laughs> so it's terrible. I just have to say hello. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Um, well, you, I mean, you've had the queen in there. Um, oh, is no. there? Uh, yeah, you, yeah, I'm sure you recognize that. her. Besides Howard and Philip, <laughs> besides, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, is there anyone who had a particularly uh, that you remember that had like a particularly extreme reaction to seeing um, all this weaponry? Uh, um, there was a few, there? but I can't. Like, there's a few because we, we brought so many around, and but. Uh, Probably no one famous as such. I mean, I mean, no one sort of famously coming in to it um, that would scream and shout because everybody's like has their own. But a lot of people, a lot of a lot of the family friends or a lot of people that would come in always just love being able to pick up the weapons, the needles and the oak keepers and widow's whale and long claw. You know, being able to feel it and oh, you know, delight with the photographs and. But sort of none that would sort of you know go be screaming and shouting. I mean, in fairness, the only ones that were that were crazy were I think I think sort of David David and Dan's wives are normally mad because they normally have stuff, when they bring the friends in they're always swinging the swords around trying to kill each other. So they're probably the most <laughs> a few lunatics that used to come in around and the friends with them. But um, ah, so yeah. uh, Amanda Pete got it. Okay, um, so. Uh, <laughs> Um, uh, what, what did it feel like for you when you made the last weapon for season eight? Yeah. Just, it was, just, it was, just relief. It's a little bit, a little, little bit, a little bit of both because I think we, we sort of kept going. Um, we made so much on season eight it was unbelievable, but there's, there's one creation in season, season eight that is absolutely phenomenal. It'll, it'll be a showstopper. And that was great to finish. It was great to make, great to design it, and great to design it that it was able to be reverse engineered and made into two different items. Um, but again, it's one of those things where, yeah, it was it was great to see it done because then we knew we were on schedule and when it was made. But then knowing that, you know, we're coming to the end, we're coming to the end, and you know, please God. You know, green light the, the prequel, please. <laughs> like one of those. You know, it's like we're going to be unemployed very soon, quick. <laughs> um, so, right, yeah, but it was great. Not, yeah, yeah. It's not a secret to say that you're working on you and your your team are working on the prequel series. Also, yeah, and again, uh, I'm very I'm yeah. very grateful again to to like the HBO for for um, putting me forward for it as well. So because obviously, there's so many people out there that can do it but it's very nice to get a shout out at this one again 
Oh, well, yeah, you've got this whole library of, of the world. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, and your work is so incredible. Um, the, you, you talked before, I've heard you talk a couple times about, um, the daunting amount of work you had to do for season eight. Well, we never stopped. I mean, I mean, it's like we, we never stopped the, the, the certain weaponry that we have and we never, never stopped until virtually the last week making this. It was just nonstop, nonstop. Um, but it was like, um, it, it's very hard. It's very hard to describe. But this year, probably the biggest was the, which is, which is siege engines, which is the larger of the weaponry. Um, I've never made as many of them in one season. Like we have three different items, nearly four different items that, are, that all will feature very, very heavily, as well as all the smaller items. The smaller weaponry is just by so many of them and so multiple layers of them. It just seems to be nonstop. Um, but this 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 season will 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 decimate any other season or all season put together. <laughs> and a siege engine is like a large like like a large scale thing you use to to batter down a a wall or a castle door. Or well, yeah, like that, be like right? in the world. I mean, the siege engine would be either you know it'd be either uh, giant crossbows or trebuchets or catapults right. or sort of larger right. of the weapons that would be used to to um, decimate castles or you know fire projectiles or. But in, yeah. but uh, but uh, you know it's just uh, but so many it's, it's very very unusual to have so many in a season. Yeah, you know, sometimes you prolong these. Yeah. You have one, this one. This 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 year just or last year just absolutely decimated everybody. I mean, it was a lot of work. It was it was a hell of a lot of work. Um, it was great doing it, but it was just it was just relentless. It was relentless. Yeah. Uh, very enjoyable. But it was it was really relentless and nonstop, and it was just like push, 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 push. Um, but that's what it is. That's, 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 that's the that's the world we were in, and, and we're well used to it. Well, congratulations for being on the other side of that. Um, yeah. And then my <laughs> my last questions, or my last two questions for you, is you know all these hero blades that you made, yeah, um, long claw, all of these. Did yeah. did your did did the actors take any of these homes? Does Kit have Longclaw? No, no. Gwendolyn have Oathkeeper? No, no. Okay. No, funny because I did. I did. I did at the very start of the season. I, I um. I obviously spoke regarding that. That you know whether whether cast were going to have any weaponry and um. Uh, walked out. They didn't. So nobody has nobody nobody um has any has any cast weaponry at all. Which is okay. actually then, surprised me because I, thought, I mean I, I actually yeah. offered I offered to make and create um, if 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 required replicas. Uh, officially, yeah. no, nobody has any. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> and then uh, as for you, um, and, and I have none either. As, I can tell you that. <laughs> Did you grab anything else? Anything non-pointed <laughs> as memorabilia no, from the show? No, no. The only I took, the only thing I took was the Queen's money. That's all. But um, other oh, than that, right, <laughs> I couldn't buy my own stuff. Um, no, no. I'm not, I'm not one of these people that hoard. And unfortunately, I don't hoard. Yeah, if I if I hoarded every weapon from every show I made, um, I think my walls would fall down. <laughs> it's nothing less than it. <laughs> 
I was just, I was no. just thinking of like what, what you might take. And I was like, well, how cool that there's a God named the Smith. Like I would be tempted to take a, if there was some sort of statue made for the Smith <laughs> God, I, if I were you, I'd be tempted to take it. But yeah, yeah. Money, no, money I haven't will seen do. one yet. Money... I, haven't, I haven't seen one yet. And I don't think props would appreciate me taking that either. So, I think either way, Fair I couldn't enough. get away with it if I wanted to. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, thank you so much again for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Not at all. Absolute, absolute pleasure. All right. Well, that is it for Two Swords. Richard, until we return, where can people find you? Oh, I'm just, I'm some fans are having me over for dinner. <laughs> um, you can find Richard tweeting his last tweets <laughs> on Rylos as he heads over to the fence house. Uh, you can find me on Joe Wrote This. Just think about that hand. That's what I will be doing. I'll think about Jamie's hand. Uh, next time, we will be talking about Season 4, Episode 8, The Mountain of the Viper. So basically, we're book ending our first over an episode and our last over. <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of <laughs> cruel. This great new character. Now he's dead. Now he's gone. Um, like horribly, kind of, horribly dead. It's kind of amazing that he only lasted seven episodes of the show and he still looms large. Just an like icon. An icon. All right. We will see you guys next time. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th.